Well, good morning, church. Great to be with you this morning. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles, and you can turn to Hebrews chapter 4 is where we're going to land in just a few minutes. So you can go ahead and find your place there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the seat, pack, seat pocket in front of you. It's our gift to you, and we'll uh, get there in just a few minutes. But uh, I just got to say something to you, tell you something as a church family this morning. I think this occurred to me in the early service, but it, it hit me that... Um, it's hard to believe that seven years ago, just this week, seven years ago, my family and I were unpacking boxes. Remember that? And uh, the moving van had moved from uh, sunny Las Vegas to snowy, cold East Tennessee, and we were unpacking the boxes. And it's hard to believe that's been seven years ago that the Lord allowed us to begin this journey here, being one of your pastors and being a part of this great church. And just thinking about going into 2018, I... I can absolutely say without hesitation that I personally am more excited and more honored and more grateful and more privileged to be a part of this church family than really ever in the past seven years. I, I love being here. I love being a part of this church. God's given me a personally a great team to serve alongside, our staff team. I, you, we have a great group of elders. It's a joy to serve alongside those men. And man, I love you as a church family. And this, I, it's a blast for me being here and my family. So thank you uh, for seven great years and hopefully many, many more years to come as a part of this church. It's just oh, kind of overwhelming to me. And I'm so grateful this morning for that. Um, and with that is something that I'm wrestling with and wrestling with going into this series in the month of January for all of us. And that's this question a little bit with all that we sense and see God doing in the life of our church. And over the past few months, again, as I've said several times, there is a sense of God's hand and favor on our church for some pretty incredible things, I think. But what if what if, as a church family, we set aside the entire month of January, uh, every hour upon the hour in the month of January, all 744 hours, somebody from this church is crying out to God on behalf of one another, on behalf of our community, on behalf of the unreached peoples of the world that we're called to go and reach? What would happen if we set aside the first part of our year crying out to God in prayer? What might God want to do in us and through us as we take Him at His word and we devote ourselves to prayer? Now let me give you a little illustration of something. This is one of my favorite stories. This is a true story that happened about 300 years ago. In the 1700s, there was a group of believers known as the Moravians. Maybe you've heard of this group of believers. They lived in what would be modern-day Germany. It was called Saxony then, a state there in modern-day Germany. During its first five years of existence, this church community showed very few signs of any spiritual power. By the beginning of 1727, the community of about 300 believers, very small, they were racked by dissension and bickering and difficulty and strife. It would have been the last place on the planet anyone would have said, God's going to do something there. The church was led, I love this, by a man named Count Zinzendorf. Isn't that an awesome name? Count Zinzendorf. He, however, and some of the leaders determined that they wanted more. They wanted more for one another, and they wanted more for their church, and they wanted God to make himself known through their church, and they covenanted to pray and to labor for revival. 
Over the next few months, a spirit of prayer became evident in the fellowship and continued throughout what was called the golden summer of 1727 there. On August 27, 1727, 24 men, 24 women covenanted together to spend one hour each day in fervent prayer. That there would be an unceasing prayer chain every day. That prayer vigil or that prayer movement that began there lasted for the next 100 years. Nonstop. Group of believers, every hour upon the hour, God did something so powerful in them. He began this prayer movement or this prayer watch that lasted the next 100 years. That prayer watch was instituted by a community of believers that were very small, whose average age was 30. Zinzendorf himself was only 27 years old. The prayer movement by the Moravian community sensitized their heart to attempt the unheard of mission to reach their neighbors with the gospel and to reach the nations of the world, even though there were only a church of 300 people. A few weeks later, 27 Moravians stepped forward the next day and volunteered to be sent out from that church wherever the Lord might lead. Now watch this. 65 years later, remember the thing lasted 100 years. 65 years into this, the church, only 300 people, the church had already sent out 300 missionaries to countries and nations all over the planet. This little band of believers that devoted themselves to prayer, history looks back and recognizes they changed the world. They impacted the world because they took God seriously and they devoted themselves to prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm just going to be real honest. That kind of makes my blood boil a little bit. E.M. Bounds, a great theologian of prayer, said, The story of every great Christian achievement is the history of answered prayer. So what if we, as a band of believers here called Tri-Cities Baptist Church at the beginning of 2018, say, you know what, we're going to trust God, we're going to take Him at His word, and we're going to devote ourselves to prayer. What might God want to do in your life and our lives if we devote ourselves to prayer over the next few weeks and months? Specifically, the first 744 hours, the desire and the dream is not an hour goes by in the month of January that somebody from this church is not crying out to God. Now watch, what might God do in some of our apathetic hearts to set us on fire for the glory of Jesus and his mission? What might God do in our personal lives in areas of struggle and personal compromise that could become great testimonies to the power of Jesus? How about that? What could God do? Who might God send out from this church that a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now, we're able to say, God used us to push back the darkness to a people that had never even heard the name of Jesus. What might God do in the life of your neighbor who right now wants nothing to do with Jesus and a year from now they're standing in our midst crying out his praises and singing his grace, his glory. What might God do in that relationship right now that's broken in your life? What might God do in that marriage that's fractured as we cry out to God? If you can't tell, I personally have great anticipation of what God does when his people pray.
So for us, that's what we're going to do. We as a church have set aside the month of January, and we want to be able to say for at least the first 744 hours of the year, beginning at midnight tonight, one of our college students, Sydney Roby, has already taken that slot tonight, and she, she's going to lead us out in prayer tonight. She's got that first time slot, but we're going to dedicate the first 744 hours, and that's you. We're going to encourage every member, every person in this church to take at least one time slot, in the month of January, you can go online, you can go on the app, you can pick the time slot that works for you. I encourage you to pray as individuals. Say, man, I'm going to take this time slot. Maybe pick a time for your family to come together, your life group as a couple. Take several time slots. I'm just praying there's not a single hour that goes by that someone from our church is not praying. And I'll just tell you this. This is hot off the press. The 2 a.m. time slot is wide open. Just want you to know that. It's there for you for the taking. I know some of you have been waiting, you've been waiting, I'm going to take that tough time slot where you can go on the app and check out the ones that are available. We provided a prayer guide, a one-hour prayer guide, you can pick that up out here, you can get that emailed to you when you sign up for a time slot. But, but the, the idea is, God, what might you want to do in our church and in our midst if we simply devote ourselves to prayer? So for the next few minutes, here's what this morning is going to look like. I have basically one aim this morning, and that's to stoke the fire in you and in us for the privilege, the privilege of this thing called prayer that God has given to us. If you leave here 30 minutes from now or an hour from now, and you're walking out and you're going, well, I better sign up for a time slot. The pastor guilted me into it. I failed or you hadn't listened. Or if you walk out of here and you think, well, it's my duty, i got to go pray because somebody told me I ought to pray, you're missing it. I hope by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and some of the promises we're going to look at, you are overwhelmed afresh at the great privilege that your God has given you to call out to His name and seek His face. What a privilege. So this morning we're going to pursue that together. I want to... First of all, set up the big truth that we're going to chase this morning, and here it is. I got one big truth, and we'll start there and take a few notes. We're going to kind of be all over the scriptures, and then we'll land in Hebrews 4 here in just a few minutes. But here's the big truth for the day. Go ahead and put that up on the screen. It's this prayer is an immeasurable, undeserved privilege for the people of God. Amen? If that doesn't resonate with you, then here's what's happened in your heart, and my heart. We've become callous to this gift God has given us. I know in my sinfulness, I know what happens, things in our life that we are overly familiar with, we can lose our awe of. And I hope today through the scriptures that your awe, A-W-E, your awe will be rekindled, that I right now, any moment as a child of God in Christ, can cry out to the very face of God Almighty. Incredible gift. So I'm going to give you a few quotes. We're going to look through a few scriptures. I hope to fan this into flame this morning. Tim Keller says this about prayer. He says, a triune God calls us to converse with him because he wants to share the joy of who he is. Prayer is our way of entering into the happiness of God himself. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way. Prayer is beyond any question the highest activity of the human soul. Man is at his highest and greatest when he is up on his knees face to face with his God. I love that. You're at your greatest on your face crying out to God. 
incredible promises in Scripture. 1 John 5.14, the Apostle John says this, This is the confidence which we have before Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Wow! Jesus himself in John 14 makes an amazing, this is an amazing promise when it comes to this thing called prayer. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, consistent with my character, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, Jesus says, I will do it. Isn't that incredible? Listen, I don't know about you, but I'm personally glad in my own life, God does a lot in my life that I, that I fail to ask him for, right? I mean, what if God only provided and God only did in your life what you ask him for? He goes way beyond that, right? But according to what Jesus says here, I do think it's a reality in Scripture. There are some things God wants to do. There are some things God wants to provide. There are some things God wants to do through your life that he only does when we ask. I don't know why he chooses to work that way. Jesus says, if you ask, I'll do it. The inverse seems to be true. If you fail to ask, then I'm, I'm going to choose to not do it for whatever reason. So this morning, let me give you a few more truths. I'm going to give you some big ideas that kind of flow out of all this, and then we're going to land in Hebrews 4 in just a second. And then just a few minutes from now, Pastor Daniel is going to come and lead us in a season of prayer together. We're going to break up in groups, and we're going to pray together as God's people. And some of you are going, oh, that gets a little awkward. Well, that's okay. It's, it may be a little awkward, but we're going to start by praying and crying out to God together this morning in just a few minutes. So let me give you some big ideas from this. Big idea number one is this. Crazy simple. I know that. Just start with the basics. Here we go. Prayer is talking with God. Prayer is talking in communion with God. Psalm 4.3 says this. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Jesus said, Matthew 6.9, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, I, I pray it stokes the fires in your heart a little bit to be reminded there is an invitation, there is a reality. As the children of God, we are a prayer, a thought, a moment within recognizing the presence of God in our lives that we are communing with Almighty God. The gift that He's given to us. Tim Keller said, prayer is both conversation and an encounter with God. We must know the awe of praising His glory, the intimacy of finding His grace, the struggle of asking for His help, all of which can lead us to know the spiritual reality of His presence. Listen, as a child of God, you need to know something, and we'll talk about this in just a minute in Hebrews 4. As a child of God in Christ, you are never out of the presence of God. You know that. 
You don't have to go conjure up God's presence. You don't have to go cry some mantra and say, well, man, I hope, hope God comes near. As a child of God, you are in Christ, never outside of God's presence. Prayer is the outward expression. It is this act that is acknowledging God is here. I'm in his presence. He is with me, and I'm with him. And there's this communion with the very God himself in prayer. What a gift. Prayer is talking with God. Secondly, God chooses to act when his people pray. Now, I know we mentioned this before, but I just can't get over this reality. Personally, I've been studying through the book of Exodus. It's where I was kind of studying through December. And you all know the story of Exodus. I want to go into the great detail, but all the plagues that came down on Egypt. And basically, God wiped out the most powerful nation on earth, the nation of Egypt. Over and over and over through the book of Exodus, it says a crazy statement that just jumped off the page at me. It says this. I'll read you a couple examples. Exodus 8 verse 13 says, the Lord did according to the word of Moses. What? Verse 31, the Lord did as Moses asked. In other words, in large detail, and again, I know it's God's sovereignty. I know he prompts us, he leads us. I understand all that. But here what it's saying is much of what God chose to do was in response to his faithful servant Moses crying out to him and praying. Incredible. God is so sovereign and so mighty and so in control. It does not take away from his sovereignty one bit that he waits and chooses to act through the prayers of his people. He is that sovereign. He is that mighty. And invites us into what he is doing in this church. Watch this. In the lives of your family, in the lives of your kids through your prayer, in the lives of your spouse through prayer, what he's doing in the life of your neighbor through prayer, what he's doing at the ends of the earth among the nations of the world and drawing them to himself, you get to be a part of that on your knees before Almighty God. Just breathtaking. Breathtaking. We get to be a part of that. So God chooses to act when his people pray. Jesus said it this way, Luke 11, 9 and 10, in the context of prayer. If you look in the earlier part of that chapter, Jesus' disciples come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. We struggle in that area. Lord, help us to learn to pray. Jesus gives them some promises and a pattern. And then he says this in verse 9 of Luke, Luke 11. He says, so I say to you. Ask, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. That is an amazing promise from Jesus to his children. And I'll just be gut level honest with you. I don't. I think I know some reasons. For me, I wrestle sometimes and say, Lord, why is my last response this? <laughs> why when doors seem shut, opportunities seem closed, problems just seem to mount, when there's all these challenges, why is it somewhere down the line I think, oh, well, maybe it's come to the point I better pray? <laughs> Has it gotten that bad? Ask. And you'll receive. Seek. You'll find. 
knock. The door will be open. What doors of opportunity and blessing and mission are closed to the people of God because we simply haven't asked. We simply haven't asked. So prayer is talking with God. God chooses to act when his people pray. Let me give you another big idea really quick. Vibrant prayer is Bible-saturated prayer. I've had a lot of conversations with folks, and, you know, maybe we're talking about their walk with the Lord, and we're talking about what's going on in their lives. And they say, well, you know, I, I spend a lot of time in prayer, and I think that's fantastic. That's great. But, but here's a danger that even as we talk about this emphasis of prayer, and again, prayer is a, prayer is a tool. You do understand that. Prayer is a tool. Prayer is not the end. Jesus is the end. Prayer is a tool to get you to him. It's, it's a gift given to us that we can commune with Jesus through prayer. You can say all day, I prayed, I did pray. Listen, prayer is not the end. Prayer is the means to the end. But listen, you can say, my, my prayer life is so stale. My prayer life is so void of any passion or any power. I mean, I don't even know what to pray. My meditations and my thoughts never go to God. They're all over the place. Why is that? I'll guarantee you, you can trace it directly back to the place you give God's word in your daily life. Without question. See, Jesus understood this and he, he said this. He said, if you abide in me, John 15, 7, Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask. Ask whatever. (laughs) Ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Because Jesus knows, listen, if your mind and your soul and your heart are saturated with the word of God, it will change your desires. It will change your asks. It will change your requests. It will change your heart and your perspective so that what you're praying is in line with who God is and what God is doing. And I'll just say, if you say, man, my life of prayer or my meditations or my thought or even sitting before the Lord is so stale and dry, let me urge you to open the book (laughs) and go to the book of Psalms or you find a prayer of Paul or you find a prayer of Jesus and you you don't read, you just begin to cry that out to God and you, I'm telling you, you we're going to spend a whole week talking about this in a few weeks. You watch what God does in your life when you saturate your soul and your mind and your heart in his word, the overflow of that will be prayer that honors God. Tim Keller said it this way, our prayers should arise out of the immersion of scripture. We speak, I love this, we speak only to the degree we are spoken to. Prayer is ultimately a response to the divine revelation of God as God makes himself known to you and God makes known to you what he is doing. We respond in prayer. You do understand your prayers don't change God a bit. Isn't that good? Aren't you glad? And by the way, aren't you glad God hasn't given some things you've asked for? I am. But our heart and our passions and our affections are transformed when we bury our life in Scripture. Keller goes on, the wedding of the Bible and prayer anchors your life down in the real God, not the God of your imagination. (laughs) The God of Scripture. Jesus said, if my words abide in you, you ask whatever you wish and I'll do it to the glory of God. That's so good. 
So true prayer, it, it, vibrant prayer is Bible-saturated. God does some things when we ask Him. Prayer is talking with God. Now, I want us to land in, in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to walk through these verses very quickly. Then Daniel's going to come and lead us in a season of prayer together as a church this morning. So Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to end there, and I'm just going to pull out a few principles that are very important about the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 4, really the book of Hebrews, is written with this in mind. So just going to keep this in mind as we look through these verses. wish I had time to unpack it more, and I just don't have time this morning. Is this idea that, that a commoner, a commoner is not welcome into the presence of the king. In the ancient Near East, this was written, that was the mindset. We don't understand the royalty and kingship and all that as much in, the, in, in our American mindset. Here's the idea. A commoner is not welcome, has no right to step into the throne room of the king. In Israel of that day, the, the Jews to whom Hebrews is being written understood the presence of God as an incredibly fearful thing. They understood to, to approach God's presence was this fearful thing. And they understood they had a high view of God and a high view of His holiness and a high view of His presence. So the presence of God or approaching the presence of God in the mindset of the Jews, especially in the Old Testament before Hebrews, was this fearful, unapproachable idea. The Jews also once a year had a practice or they had a, a visible outward representation of the presence of God. I won't go into all the details, but there was the tabernacle in the Old Testament. And then as time proceeded, there was the temple that was built there in Jerusalem. And if you, you know your history, you know that temple was built basically represent the presence of God among his people. But that temple itself had different compartments or different layers there was an outer court and then there was the, or the court of the Gentiles and then there was the outer court and then there was the holy place and then way inside the temple like many 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 rings inside was a place called the holy of holies that you've heard about and God decreed that this place called the holy of holies would be there and it would represent God's very presence the ark of the covenant was in that room it was where God's presence was dwelt in the sense of representing who he was and the Jews understood now watch this that place that holy of holies place nobody goes in there nobody you go in there, you might not make it out because sinful men and women do not, are not welcomed into the presence of holy God. You can't go into that place, the holy of holies. Right? Y'all get that? Once a year, the nation of Israel, there was the great, there was the high priest. He represented the nation and he was, they had to go through all these rites and all these practices and all these cleansings and all this stuff that was symbolic of Christ who was coming. But once a year, the high priest could go from the outer court to the holy place and he once a year would go into the holy of holies and he would take some blood with him and he would sprinkle blood on the altar as a symbol of Jesus that was coming. He didn't know all he was doing at that point, but the blood that was going to be spilled on his behalf. And watch this, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies. He didn't stay there very long at all. <laughs> he was in and out. Bam! You know why? Because the presence of God was a fearful thing. And the high priest, when he would go into that Holy of Holies representing the presence of God, watch this, his robe had bells tied on the bottom of his robe. You know why? Because you go in there, and as long as we hear the bells, you know, we hear the bells ringing, we know he's still alive. But if the bells stop, uh-oh, it didn't go well for the high priest. 
And they even had a rope that was tied to his leg. And because of the holiness of God, he goes in in some impure way and God strikes him in judgment. Nobody's going in there to get that guy. They had to pull him out with his rope. (laughs) Here's the point. They took the presence of God very seriously and they couldn't imagine approaching the presence of God. That was somewhere that was almost unapproachable to them, represented by the temple. Then you come to Hebrews chapter 4 and the message to these Jews is, but wait. You now have a great high priest. His name is Jesus, and he is opening up to you access into the very presence of God. It was unimaginable in the mind of a Jew. So you come to Hebrews chapter 4. I'm only going to read three verses, make a quick point of application, and we're going to pray together. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore... Since we have a great high priest, who is it? Jesus the Messiah has come, who has passed through the heavens, leaving the very presence of God in heaven, coming down to earth. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Hold on to Jesus. He's your only hope. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, Meaning, you as a believer have a go-between between you and God, Jesus Christ. And he has come and he has walked and he has lived for 33 years on earth. He endured every temptation you'll ever face. He endured every trial you'll ever face. And Hebrews says, yet without sin, but never succumbed to temptation. He was spotless, perfect, righteous, holy, sinless. That's your high priest, Jesus Christ. Verse 16. All right. What do you do with that? Pastor Mike, that's a lot. What am I supposed to do with that? What does that mean for me? Verse 16, therefore, let us draw near. Listen, if you're a Jew and you hear that and you're understanding of the presence of God and now the invitation is, no, 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 you draw near to the very presence of God through your great high priest, Jesus Christ. That is unimaginable to you. And there ought to be a level of awe in us that I have no right to draw near to the presence of God. No right whatsoever. But in our great high priest, King Jesus, here's the invitation. Don't miss it. Here's the invitation. Draw near. Draw near, draw near, therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. We are to cling to Jesus and hold to Jesus and know, listen brothers and sisters, when we go to prayer, when our thoughts even go to God and his presence, that we have open access, that the throne room of God is open to you moment by moment by moment. You have the freedom to draw near. Don't you think for one second that you in any way earn that or deserve that because you don't. Does Mike Lauren, I'll use me as an example, have the right to approach God in prayer? Nope, no way, no how, no shape, no form, no fashion. But watch this. Jesus Christ does every moment of every day for all eternity because he is holy and pure and righteous and could do what I could never do in my fallenness. He is the perfect one. And watch this. When a person places faith in Christ, you are then placed in Christ. And all that is available to Christ, praise God, is available to you. 
All that is accessible to Jesus is available to you. And Jesus, in the very presence of God, you now are ushered into his presence by Christ because on the merits of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Hallelujah, what a Savior. What a Savior. So how do we respond? Well, we're going to draw near together. We're going to pray. Over the next few weeks, we're seeking out to the Lord on five different areas. God's glory. We're praying for one another and our growth in Christ's likeness. We're praying in our, for our devotion to one another as a church family. We're praying about this mission God has given us to our neighbors and the ends of the earth. And we're praying for families, that God would do a deep work in the families of our church. So I'm going to ask Pastor Daniel to come on up, and he's going to guide us through a season that I, I want to be very... Um, I just want this to be a time of freedom and praying together. I know there's a little bit of awkwardness when we do that, but Daniel's going to walk us through some different topics to pray. Our team's going to come on up as well. So, Daniel, why don't you take it away and lead us through this time together. Um, I want you to take just a moment. We're going to pray together, and sometimes just the accountability of praying with someone else just helps us. And so I'm just going to give you about 15 seconds to reposition yourself Find a couple, find somebody that you know, somebody next to you. It can be a spouse, a friend. Um, but pair up in groups of two or three. You can be large if you want. But take just a few moments and position yourself and find somebody to pray with. And then I'm going to guide you in just a moment. Throughout the Old Testament, I mean, all throughout, from beginning to end, again and again, you're going to see a phrase that gets repeated. God will act and he will acknowledge that he acted for his namesake. Whether it's the plagues that fell on Egypt to set his people free or allowing other nations to rise to oppress his people to send them into suffering and captivity that they may turn attention to him, all throughout. God acts for his namesake. And so it's not a surprise to me that when we find ourselves in Matthew chapter 6 and we see Jesus instructing his disciples on how they should pray, he begins, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. One of the things that we probably uh, don't intend to do but we've done is we've, we've separated meditation and proclamation from prayer and that's a good thought as we go through the month for you to just really think through where does the line between meditation and prayer begin and end I want you to understand something part of prayer is proclaiming the very characteristic of who God is and who he has revealed himself to be and that's how we want to begin our season of prayer, by recognizing that there is only one true God and he is worthy of all glory and all honor, that everything that we have is a gift from him. He and he alone is worthy of the glory of our whole lives. And so what I'm going to ask you to do in this first section is I'm just going to ask you to praise God and glorify him by proclaiming the very truths of who he is. Would you take a few moments and would you pray and glorify God, the one true God who is worthy of all praise?
Would you pray with me now? Father, hallowed be your name. You are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, you are worthy of all glory. Next, I want to give you three real practical responses to God's glory and how we pray through that and how we pray a a response for us. The first is I, I would challenge you to wisely purpose your life solely to glorify God. Not your comfort, not your well-being, not, not the things that you want or your preferences, or, or not to chase after any of those things. But to prayerfully, day after day, go before the Lord and say, your glory is why I will breathe today. Second, in speech, in speech, let us glorify God in speech. Sometimes that means knowing when not to say something. And when to keep our mouths shut because the thing that would come out of our mouth would not glorify God. And other times it's with great boldness that we will proclaim his gospel and the attributes of who he is to the world around us. And third, pray for unity within the church, not around preference or tradition or style, but we would be unified by the purpose to glorify God in all that we do. Three ways we can respond, just simple ways today and through this month as we pray to seek God's glory. One, that we would purpose our lives for it. Two, that we would speak it. And three, that it would unify us as a church. Would you take a few moments and would you pray through these three things now? Father, help us glorify you. Give us wisdom. Give us boldness. Give us self-control. Give us faithfulness. Give us love and give us unity. The second section that you're going to see in the card and our last section to focus this morning is on abiding in Christ. In that same passage in Matthew chapter 6, before Jesus goes into that instructive prayer, he reminds uh, his disciples that the Pharisees prayed all the time, many words, but he said their words were empty phrases. You can pray for hours 
and hours over the next month. But unless you have an abiding relationship with Jesus, you have no access. You have no high priest. As we pray, we pray out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus. And there's the most amazing thing that is happening in that abiding relationship. Yes, as we have been saved, we have been declared righteous before God, and it is as good as done because of who he is. But we have yet to arrive. He is still doing a work in us, sanctifying us, growing us to be more like his son Jesus. And that is the longing of the church's heart, to be more like Jesus, to grow deeper in him. And so when we pray, Would you pray that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, would supernaturally in your life and the life of our church grow us to be more like his son Jesus? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. It is an amazing thought. It just blows my mind that the creator and sustainer of all life gives attention to what we think and what we say. Cares for our needs. That's possible because we abide in your son, Jesus. And so, Lord, I praise you and thank you for that. And I ask that you do a work in my life and the life of our church to grow us more and more into his likeness. Transform us. Strip away our sin. Reveal more of your character and continue through the supernatural sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit to grow us as you have called us and set us apart to be. And I pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. Amen.